reading the scripture for Gordy's text today, and we're going to move into sermon time. So whatever you need to do to like adjust from announcementiness to sermon time, get a pen, turn off your phone, take another deep breath. That's the time that it is right now. Our reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Oh, we can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or at my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the good news of Christ. Do you want the stool to put your... Oh, yeah. I can get it. Okay. And the first obsec lesson is the... I was trying to serve Gordy, and he's just like, no, here I go. Let me do that myself. Be the servant of all. Oh, there's a magic wand down by your feet. What a fantastic church we have that magic wands have just dropped. That might help my sermon. (laughs) No, (laughs) we totally believe it. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for this word that you have placed into Gordy's mind and tender heart. Lord, I thank you that this is something that Gordy lives that he lives to serve, and he loves to serve, and he longs to even be even more so that way. Would you allow us to serve him today with our full attention, with everything that we have a capacity to give him and ultimately give you by giving ourselves to this word today? And would you allow him to serve you in the way that he serves us by bringing this word? We ask these things with your help 
we know we can't do it without. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you, Joanna. Good morning again. And uh, it's been good to worship with you already this morning. And we will continue to worship as we engage in the scriptures. We've been dealing with, over the last few weeks, this topic of discerning the true and the false self. And um, the defining story has been, and I, I just never get tired of telling it, was a little girl talking to the, the blind priest and recognizing in the middle of the conversation that he was blind and she said so. And, and, she, and then this look of alarm came over her face. Uh, but you don't know what you look like. And then she said, you're beautiful. And to me, that's such a summary of the gospel in our story is because through life, we've been, we believe the lie about God. And, and so we haven't been mirrored back who we are properly. And so we become blind to who we are. And like the little girl, that's bad news. And the gospel tells us bad news. We don't know what we look like. But the gospel gives us the good news. You're beautiful. Your beloved son or daughter of God. So we're going to continue on that theme because the gospel confronts these false selves that we, we take on when we don't believe that God is good. And we uh, take on false personas. And today I want to look at the, the issue of power in our world today and the false self. And I would say there's a lot of power, quote unquote, in our world that comes from the false self, that is actually false power. So I'm going to talk about false power today a little bit and contrast that with the gospel's understanding of true power. I don't think that there's anything that so confronts, affects our relationships as this issue of power. We have believed this lie that God can't be trusted, so we take things into our own hands so we can become God or usurp a power that is not ours, to seize or to grasp for something that is not ours, and we do it out of anxiety. We do it out of fear. And as I said, nothing affects our relationships more, I, I don't think, than this issue of jockeying for power. And rather than simply being content with who they were, Adam and Eve wanted more. And we as a generation have a love-hate relationship with power, don't we? There's a lot, of it, a lot in the media today about this issue of power and how that power has been abused. We've often heard the term power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, but that's not totally true. Actually, true power does not corrupt as we will see in our story today. But yes, false power does. And the whole Me Too movement, and Time's Up, and the First Nations, Idle No More, what are those? Those are movements, foments against false power that are coming down. So power is often connected with sex. So hence Me Too, hence... Time's up. Because as Richard Foster said in his book, Money, Sex, and Power, power is the greatest af aphrodisiac. And money buys power. So there's, it's almost like an unholy trinity of the false self 
is this money, sex, and power connection. And yet we instinctively know that somewhere in all of this mess and abuse of power that we've all experienced, whether in the church or in the government or in the home or in our business or job or school, I experienced abuse of power when I was in grade one. Teacher out of her insecurity gave me a vicious strap because I had the loudest voice in the classroom. There was no other reason. So I know what it is to experience false power, and that's just a little thing for me. That's just a tiny thing compared to some ways I've really encountered false power and been hurt by it and abused by it. And yet we know that power is good. There's a good to power. Why in the world did some of us stand in line for two hours yesterday voting? I was listening to this uh, uh, mom explaining to her teenage son and his teenage girlfriend in front of me as I stood there for almost two hours, yep, at Templeton Pool, or at Templeton School. And um, I think I made the mistake of thinking everybody else was going to do the same thing I did and, uh, or wasn't going to do the same thing I did. And we all showed up last minute. So anyway, my Saturday night was gone. But I was... Uh, uh, Hey, guys, do you guys want to preach or? <laughs> I'm feeling I'm a bit co competitive there, talking about power. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so we all know power is good, but why do we go and vote? Because we want to give power to somebody who will use it properly. And, we're all, and we actually have power in a democratic society. Thank God to give power to people who will serve and and do good for our cities and our province and our country. And so this mother was standing with her teenage son, and, and it was beautiful as she explained to him, because uh, it was their first time voting, this, uh, the, these two young people. And they said, is this what it's like to vote, standing in line for two hours? So she was explaining to them that normally it's not like this. We're not sure what happened. But, but she kept saying to them, do you understand what a privilege this is? Many parts of the world, they can't do this. It was beautiful. And I just sat there almost, I, I didn't feel that con conversational. The people behind me were drunk. So I'm not sure who they voted for. I'm a little afraid of who they voted for with some of the options on there. I'll say no more. Uh, <laughs> but it was just beautiful sitting there with hundreds of people from East Vancouver and just praying, just loving them. Just being a presence. It's a privilege, eh? That we have this country that we live in. So we talked about how that the false self, Henry Nouwen says there's three lies that are predicate this false self. The one is, I am what I have. I am what I do or what I've accomplished. My pedigree, my, my doctorate, my, PH, my, my master's or my, my successful business or... Uh, Successfully raised family. It could be any of these things. I am what others say or think about me. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things, but they do not constitute our identity. They do not constitute who you really are as a beloved son or daughter of God. So again, let's put on our, our glasses, the true and false self, with this understanding of false power and true power, and put those glasses on as we look at the text again that Joanna read, and we'll, we'll go through it a little bit slower again. 
And again, we have James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who came to Jesus and said, Lord, we want you to give us whatever we ask. Now, it's very important to be fair to these guys. Okay? Got to be fair to them. After all, who were the first two people Jesus picked in his apostolic band? It was probably John, and his brother was James, so James kind of had a little, you know, our identity sometimes is who we know, right? You know? So James says, well, John's my brother, right? And uh, Peter and and, uh, Andrew were the other two, and there's a little bit of controversy. It's funny because Matthew says that Peter and Andrew were the first, but John says, actually, we were the first. And... In addition, we were the ones, I'm the one that Jesus really loved. (laughs) Right? I'm glad for their humanness. And so, you got to understand that Jesus has just also given them this crazy promise. Do you remember what the promise was? He just said, because they said, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. And he just said that each of you apostles will judge the 12 tribes of Israel on thrones. So it's not like they didn't have a kind of a segue there. Okay, Jesus picked his cabinet. Well, Lord, you need a vice president, right? And, you know, your job's pretty big being Messiah and all. Maybe you need two vice presidents, right? One on your right hand, one on your left. I don't know how James and John were ever going to sort out who was on the right hand. Because in Israeli culture, the right was superior, right? So I don't know how they sorted. Maybe they flipped a coin or something. So it's not like they, they weren't already led into this. And, and they said, Lord, we just have this simple request. Um, we, we'd like to sit at your right hand and your left in your glory. We know you got your cabinet picked. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And they said, oh, yeah, we take communion. We've been baptized in water. Isn't that that what he said? It's the sacraments, right? There's the sacraments. You ever wondered, talk about sacred practices. Can we get back to basic, get baptized, You know what baptism does? It drives a nail into the ground that says, I belong to to God. I know who I am. And whenever that's challenged, I just think back to my baptism. And some of you have been baptized as a child and an infant. And if that is your anchor of faith, great. But if you need to take a volitional step, hey, we baptize year-round. My grandson dove into Lynn Canyon in December. We can baptize you anytime. That'll separate the men from the boys and the warriors from the, you know, anyway. But get baptized. You know, that's, and then Jesus said, drink my cup. So we we think of communion, but of course there's layers here, isn't it? He's not just talking about the sacraments. He's not just talking about the baptism and the communion. There's layers of our discipleship where we go deeper. And of course, the baptism was a baptism of suffering. And the cup was a cup of suffering. And the, the cost of, of, of leadership, the cost of, of rulership. And as it turned out, James, who was one of the ones who was asking here, early in the book of Acts, lost his head, didn't he? Got his head chopped off. 
So Jesus said, you will drink my cup. He said, you will drink the cup. You will be baptized with my baptism. James, I think, other than Stephen, I think James was one of the early martyrs. I think he was the first apostolic martyr in the church. So he didn't know what he was asking for, did he? <laughs> and John, according to Christian tradition, he was thrown into a burning vat of oil by Domitian. Is that, did I say that right? Domitian? The uh, Roman emperor. And he didn't burn. So they're leaving him there, waiting for him to kind of cook up and, you know, deep fry. And he didn't burn. So finally, out of frustration, they sent him to the Isle of Patmos and he got the book of Revelation. Have you ever wondered if you have the goods? Have you ever wondered if you'll have what it takes when your courage is challenged? Have you ever wondered if you're going to wuss out? I have. I've thought, God, do I have what it takes? And I was so inspired as a young a teenager by the story of David Wilkerson. Many of you have heard of David Wilkerson. He wrote the book of the cross and the switchblade, and God called him from being a country preacher to the gangs of New York. But he talked about in his crusades later that he would preach at, about how he had this constant recurring nightmare that he'd see these gang members jumping on a kid and beating on that kid, and he would, he would run in fear that he wouldn't intervene. And that nightmare happened over and over again where he ran away. And this, this, this nightmare tormented him. But one day he's driving down in Brooklyn and the actual nightmare became true. He saw this gang jump in this group, this kid, and just beating him. And without thinking, he stopped, jumped out of his car, and he went waiting, screaming into that mob of kids and said, Get off him. Leave him alone. Get out of here. He said, the Holy Ghost came upon me. He said, Pentecostal. And then he said, after it was all, they, fled. they thought he was a crazy man, and they fled in every different direction, and he made sure the kid was okay, and he went back in his car, and he said, then he fell apart in the car. And then the Holy Spirit said, don't worry. It'll be there when you need it. It'll be there when you need it. And that's kind of what Jesus was saying to these guys. You'll drink the cup. It'll be there when you need it. When you need the grace for courage, to suffer well, to be patient, if you stay drinking the cup in communion, if you get baptized, if you identify with Christ, if you keep these sacred practices and you're faithful to them and you don't become independent and want to do your own self-salvation project, but stay attached to the vine. It'll be there when you need it. And then he says this, those places that belong to sit at my right hand or my left is not for me to grant. They belong to those for whom they've been prepared. What does that mean? What does that mean? Who's going to sit at Jesus' right hand and left? Are you ready for this? Look at me. Look at me in the eye. You are. Revelation says, whoever overcomes will sit with me in my throne and will rule the nations with me. You will. In other words, there's a big space. And one of, the, one of the issues with power is it's like money. We don't think there's enough to go around, so we jockey for it. But Jesus is saying here that in this kingdom, it's an upside-down kingdom. It's not like slots and spaces and hierarchy and pecking orders and, you know, position and power. There's a spacious place for the kind of rulership that God's kingdom operates on. Sorry, I'm behind. So when the ten heard this, they were thrilled with James and John. 
And Paul Turnier, writer, says that the lust for power destroys dialogue. Backroom, backroom conversations and manipulation happen instead of open-faced conversations. The lust for power destroys relationships, as we see with the disciples. All, it's quite important to the gospel writers, because all four gospels uh, record this story in some shape or form. The lust for power destroys these relationships, and it records this, this power struggle as the bitterest of divisions for the disciple, for the apostolic teams, was this issue of power. And it's been the source of division for the church ever since in society and families. It's power. Why do we jockey for power? Because we're fearful. Who's going to take care of me? I don't believe I'm being carried by God. Why could Jesus, the, the, the God of the universe, let go of power? Because he knew he was held and he was carried. But when you're fearful and anxious, you begin to strive for power. Who's going to take care of me? And there's competition, right? And, and, and all, all kinds, you, you know the story, you've seen it. Now the preposition in the original is emphatic. When Jesus called them together, he said, you know that those who regard are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. It's literally an oppressive rulership where the, ruler where the ruled exist for the ruler where they, they diminish the ruled in order to exalt the ruler. That's the kind of rulership Jesus is describing, this false power. And later, Peter would write to the disciples in the churches, and he would say to them, don't lead that way. Don't lead oppressively. Don't lead coercively. Don't, you're not there to be exalted and, and, and them diminish. You're to, to exalt them, to magnify them, to serve them, to celebrate them. That's what leadership is. That's what rulership is in the, in the kingdom. So not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you or first must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Servant, slave. Slave literally means you, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You're owned. You give up your power and your rights. Well, what does that look like? How can we do that without being subject to abuse and abusing ourselves? Lack of self-care. Well, I'm glad we've had this whole year that we've been practicing sacred practices so to avoid stuff like that and to, to be attentive to our true selves because that's the key. The key is who are you? in this. Who are you as this servant? Not who is that person next to you and trying to be like them, but who are you? What gives you joy? What gives you life? For even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, Jesus was simply living out. This wasn't an act. It wasn't some kind of Shakespearean play. He was being himself. Serving. So the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom literally means the redemption price to release a slave. So when I was a kid, some of you probably heard this story growing up in Sunday school. We heard this story of an auction block where, where a bid, slaves were being bid for. And there was, uh, the bids were going higher and higher. And there was this one slave 
that was angry and hateful and just defiant. And finally this man stepped forward and he bid the highest price and he bought the slave. And he was defiant all the way home and when he got home, the, the man turned to him and said, I bought your freedom. You're free now. You can go. And the slave, in shock, realized that if he went anywhere else, he'd just become a slave again. So he said, listen, listen, I, I appreciate my freedom, but I'm going to serve you now out of gratitude and out of joy. So that illustration was often, I know it's, in, it's, it's to, to understand the word ransom there, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about being freed from bad power, being freed from course of abusive power to serve in freedom. That's that word. Isn't that beautiful? So as John, okay, I'm missing church camp. I'm missing the talent show. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may be like to gamble or you might like to dance. You might be the heavyweight champion of the world. You might be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Now, I would have stopped there, but I can't resist this verse. You may call me Terry. You may call me Timmy. You may call me Bobby. You may call me Zimmy. You may call me RJ, you may call me Ray, you may call me anything, but no matter what you say, still you've got to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. So the point is we're all slaves, but who are we slaves to? We all belong to somebody, but who do we belong to? And in Jesus modeling this, this is from John 13, John describes how Jesus lived this out. It was just before the Passover festival. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So the first, right, if you're taking notes, where's Elaine? She likes notes. If you're taking notes, the first characteristic of true power is love. I know you wanted something more profound. Sorry. Love. He loved them. Now, this is what I love. That evening, the meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. Did you get that there? He knew who he was. And he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. So I want to, before I read the next text, I want to say that this serving thing that Jesus did in John 13, it was not an act. It wasn't Jesus going, okay, I am God and I'm Messiah. Now these guys need to get this idea of serving. So I'm, I'm going to just kind of model. No, 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 no. The whole message of the gospel was this is Jesus' life. Now, with Kathleen working, you know, a lot of her work schedule is, uh, she works over supper time. So, gradually over the last 10 years, I've become the cook of the family. And it's also, you know, with Kirsten's careful tutelage and Rose and a few others kind of 
keeping a watchful, loving eye over me. Um, our homestays, uh, I, I end up having to be the one to, to do the meals for them. And I, I've discovered something. I love it. I get so much joy from cooking. But it's really cute because when I do meal trains for people in our church, I'll invariably get a text from Buddy saying, would you please thank Kathleen for that beautiful meal? So, so, so at that point, and, 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 if, and if, if that's you, there's more than one, so don't worry. But if, if it, it's, it's, it's interesting what happens to that old false self in me when that happens. And then I have to decide, do I be honest or do, do I be humble? I, you know, I feel like I have a choice, right? <laughs> How many have ever felt you had a choice between two virtues? Do I be honest or do I be humble? You know? <laughs> That's kind of how it felt. <laughs> and by the way, Rose has even requested that I get her the, uh, uh, what is it called? Recipe. recipe, yeah. I'm still learning, right? The recipe. And when Rose asks you for a recipe, you know you graduated into a new hole. I'll tell you. That's, that's setting the bar pretty high. So I'll get that for you, I promise. But my point is, I'm not sure what my point is, except that I get a lot of joy from this. And I think our lives are, are, are about serving and, and, and obedience is about joy. If it doesn't give you joy, Maybe it's not obedience. And so the second attribute of true power is joy. The third attribute of true power comes in our next. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The third is humility. Just humility. It's not about me. Not about us, even. And so I'm going to leave it on there. I'm going to invite Sarah up because I felt I had a great coffee with Sarah this week, and God's just been doing some great things in her life. And she just shared kind of what's been happening this past year with some of these sacred practices. And you know, what goes around comes around. What, what I'm noticing, yeah, you're off the hook, Sarah. Yeah, it's this Sarah. You're okay. <laughs> Sorry, I should have been more specific. Sarah Frino. So, so what goes around comes around. So what happened in the early part of the year is we began to look at health. And, and it meant some of you stepping back from serving, stepping back from things to tend to your heart, to tend to your life. And sometimes you get into a trajectory where you begin to circle your wagons. And, and it's more about me and about... But the whole point of this is so we can be better servants, a servant community, that we can be a loving, non-anxious presence in our neighborhoods, in our work, in our families. And uh, as, Sher as Sarah shared her story this week, I just thought, wow, that just so embodies what I feel God's been doing in us as a church since the beginning of the year. So do you want me to ask the questions or do you want to just uh, go for it? Okay, well, why don't you just start, you shared, it was so beautiful about just how the practices, you can use this if you need it, uh, just how some of the sacred practices have been uh, implemented in your life, and just so, 
just kind of what were some of the challenges that you've had in implementing them? Okay. Yeah, so um, Gordy and I met for coffee, and um, as you guys know, um, the last number of years have been hard. Um, and I'm probably going to cry at some point, so that's just a warning. <laughs> but I, hopefully I won't. Um, so two things that I've been focusing on lately is, um, so at the beginning of the year, God was speaking to me. I've always struggled with um, setting aside a time consistently to uh, read my Bible, pray, journal, all that kind of thing. And, and I was raised in a family that went to church that, so, you know, we were always encouraged to do that. But even with that, and I'm in my 50s now, I was still struggling. And I always resented when people would say, you know, you really should get up in early in the morning because that's the best time of the day and you should give it to God. Or you should, you know, there was all the you shoulds, you should. And I never seemed to be able to really do that. And so at the beginning of this year, God said to me, you really need to get a reading plan. Like, that's one of the issues is that it was always a bit sporadic, right? So I got an app and I got a reading plan, one that I liked. And, and then God said to me, um, kind of like tithing, where you, you really need to give the best part of what you have, the first part. So before you start spending your money on other things, you really need to give the, the part to God that you, want to give, that you need to give to him. And so the same idea where he said, you know, in, at the beginning of the day, you need to give me your time at the beginning of the day. And I'm not a morning person. On a good day, it takes me about two hours from the time I wake up to the time I leave my house which means I have to get up quite early. <laughs> I'm easily distracted. I'm quite energetic in the morning, so it means that I want to do a million things, but really I just need to get to work. Um, and so often that, and I often sleep in, sleep through my alarm, that's the other thing. So morning is definitely a challenge for me, but God said, no, every morning you have to get up and you have to do that. So what I do is I get up, I do make a cup of coffee, and um, and then I go back into my bed where it's nice and cozy, and I have a little setup. And, um, and I spend a minimum of 15 minutes. But what I found is that 15 minutes, which I committed to, has grown longer and longer. And what I'm finding is that um, by doing this, the morning is definitely less frantic. Um, I actually, there's some days I swear God slowed it down after I finished <laughs> because I'm like, how did I get all that done? Um, my dog is getting better walks. <laughs> um, sometimes I do have to eat breakfast at work because I'm not that organized, but I'm also getting more organized the day before. So it's just been a real, it's just interesting. I find it interesting when you do something that God asks you to do. Um, you can't outgive God. I think you've said that a number of times, right? And, and it just, there's just more of a peace. And of course, you know, it's not perfect, um, but it, it's just interesting. And I found that really beneficial. Um, the other thing that I've been trying to do is Sabbath. Again, I grew up in a family where Sabbath was, um, or Sunday, was really um, strict. And so sometimes the things that we even wanted to do that were not bad things, like I loved gardening and I'd want to go out and garden and my dad would say, no, the neighbors cannot see you working on Sunday, right? Because he perceived that as work. So, you know, like we grew up with this idea that, that Sabbath was really about just sleeping, eating and sleeping and, and feeling yucky because you slept all afternoon and woke up and ate more food. Um, so I've started to um, work towards that. It's definitely more of a struggle um, than the other, the reading. Um, so, so, but I am, I am finding it beneficial. Um, but some of the struggles I'm having is um, really delineating the day. I tend to sort of be like, oh gosh, now it's, it's, I'm already there. Um, so I'm trying to sort of delineate and mark the time. And I know Joanna and Wade, you 
are a bit more formal, or at least used to be about that. And I, yeah, and I think that's, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, or, and sort of choosing the day. I, every Saturday, generally, I go visit my parents, and so that takes up a lot of the day. And, um, and so trying to figure out a day that really is a day to rest and, and do things that give me joy. Um, not being prescriptive. Being raised that way, it's hard to fall into that, right? Like, oh, I shouldn't do this, and I shouldn't do that. And, and that can kind of consume a lot of your, your thoughts. Um, yeah, so, so I'm getting there, but that one has also, I think, again, that's the, the idea that you can do in six days what you need to do, in, like what you would normally do in seven, because you're giving that one day to God. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's all wrapped up in the same idea, right, is trusting God. Yeah. Um, which then brings me, I guess, to my next yeah, point. Yeah, I, I, I think the vocation, <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. so, so uh, I think it was, um, my brain isn't working this morning, mm-hmm. um, but a wonderful writer that I enjoy, maybe Sandra, you can help me with this, but he talks about how our vocation is where our deepest joy connects connects with the world's deepest pain or hurt. And we tend to err to one side or the other. We tend to either focus on what gives us joy and we forget the needs of the world, or we get so swallowed up in the needs of the world that we are out of touch with what gives us joy. And it's like holding those two together. And as Sarah just shared a beautiful door that's been given to her, I just saw that come together. So just tell us a little bit about uh, the open door you have, and maybe in the context of your job and Mm -hmm. what what you do. Yeah, so some of you know and some don't that I work at Pacific Blue Cross, and I've worked there for quite a number of years, 25 to be exact. Um, And so they're a health and benefits provider in the Lower Mainland, and we service BC primarily. And and so my role is um, Director of Continuous Improvement, which I know sounds really nebulous, um, but it's quite fun because basically whoever needs help in the organization basically puts their hand up so that I can see it and sends me an email or whatever. And then if I have the time, I go and I help those people and whatever. So I I do many, many things and there's not really a a job description. And so most recently, I have been given the opportunity to go to First Nations communities um, through a new client that we have to find out from those communities um, what's working well, what's working well as regards to their health benefits, both the level of benefit and the access to those benefits. Um, And so we're partnering with the First Nations Health Authority and have a primarily First Nations team, which is great. And then we're just supporting and, and being the people really that are listening and, and learning and, and being humble. And I'm being able to do a lot of education around that, which is great. Um, but yeah, so um, I'm, I don't have a lot of confidence in that area. I am definitely um, have had moments of being less than confident. Um, so I guess what I would ask is that um, for prayer is that it starts, so the first um, trip that we're doing is November 1st and 2nd on the island, and it's Port Hardy and Campbell River. And Campbell River, I understand, is quite challenging. Um, so we're going to get into it right at the beginning. Um, and so, yeah, I, I need prayer. And also, I just wanted to, I bought this this morning from Sophia. So thank you, Sophia. Because what I was thinking was, um, and also Rose gave me a word this morning about fear, not fearing. Um, 
I think this would be good to pack in my suitcase. And then every time I get to a hotel, I'll just stick it up beside my bed, and then that'll just remind me, because I think I'm going to have a lot of fear, because <laughs> I'm not a super bold person. Um, so yeah, so thank you, Sophia. Um, yeah, so that's all I have, really. So, so I'd, any questions, I'd love I guess? To, <laughs> I'd love for us to pray for Sarah. Sorry, did you? Yeah, I just said if anyone has any questions, come see me after. What an amazing door. The First Nations Health Authority. And Sarah, of course, is... How many times have you been to Lower Post? Just once. Just the once, yeah. Yeah. And you just shone there, I will say that. Thank you. You did. Um, Yeah, there is a team of about, I think it'll be up to 10 people. Um, There's only two of us at the most going from Blue Cross. The rest are the First Nations members, yeah. So what I felt we were to do, and I want to do this for others of you too in our journey together is is just as much as we lay hands on and commission somebody to be a pastor or an elder or a Sunday school teacher, we need to lay hands on, on vocations. Uh, the, this is as much mission as anything of preaching. This is the gospel. So what I'd like to do is, and you don't need to wait, is I'd love for some folks to come and gather around Sarah, and we're going to pray for her. And uh, commissioner. And fear not, that's a good word. Yeah. So if, you, if you're physically able to stand, could you stand and just maybe stretch your hands if you're, if you're inclined to do so? Um, I just feel this is a God journey that's so much a part of our story as a church and Sarah's story coming into our church and it's just so evident and so let's pray and agree in Jesus name Father I just see obviously a butterfly emerging from the cocoon Sarah's been in Lord she's been wrapped by you but Lord you've called her to emerge and you've given her a door that no man can shut And we thank you for the extension of your heart through us and our heart for justice for First Nations people. We thank you that you are going to equip her. She has an eye that can see detail, Lord. And she also has the privilege of collaboration, working with First Nations uh, health educators. Lord, we know that there's um, all kinds of epidemics like diabetes. And Lord, we know that you have the solution for First Nations people, that you call them to arise. So we just bless the butterfly, and Sarah, we just thank you for her, that we can get behind her, we can pray for her, and we just bless her journey in the name of Jesus. As Kathleen spoke about the butterfly, the first thing I thought of was Sophia telling me that she had learned that when a caterpillar is in the cocoon, it like goes to mush, including its brain. Yet science has shown that when the butterfly comes, the butterfly has memories of when it was a caterpillar. And for me, having struggled with memory stuff, I thought, wow, that's a great word that you're praying completely out of mush. But I I wondered if in this time, this season, um, I know there's been so much loss for you. There's been so much that has felt like it's just gone. And uh, as Kathleen said, I see this butterfly emerging from the cocoon. Um, I just thought of that. Everything that seemed like it was 
done, gone, diminished, lost. Um, that's, that's, we just don't, um, we, we serve a resurrection God. And we can trust that when we serve him and follow him, whenever there's a death, there is a resurrection. I came to stand behind you, first of all, because I'm tall, but as I put my hands on your back, I thought, um, I, I want to have your back in this. I want you to not be shy in asking for prayer again and again and again. And then it was so interesting because Wade came up and put his hand on my back. And I thought, whoa, I have Sarah's back? And then even the people that have our backs have people having their backs. So please continue to share with us and speak up and be bold and take with confidence the blessing that's being prayed upon you right now and trust the pride that we have in you being a part of our community and our family. Trust our joy in you. And we're so thrilled to send you. We're so thrilled to bless you. And we send you out. We send you out to be an ambassador of Jesus exactly as he's made you to be, shining in the ways that he's made you to be. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Just thought of our um, Martha and Mary series and our memory yeah. verses. Take them yeah. with you. Uh, Philippians 4, verses 6 to 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will yeah. guard your heart and your mind. The Lord says, um, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, and that you are going to go forward with the eyes of Joshua and Caleb and not the eyes of the Israelites. So you are going to be able to see the fruit of the land and not the giants of the lands. So, Father, we ask right now that if there's any scales in her eyes that need to be removed, you would remove them in Jesus' name and that you would bring her vision into an acute um, awareness that she would see no matter what it looks like and what other people are saying, she would not see the giants. She would see the fruit of the land. She would see what can be used and others would be amazed at her wisdom that even though she's not bold, she doesn't need to be bold. She just needs to stand yeah. and have a voice. So Father, I pray you give her a voice to speak the truth of what she sees in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Father. Amen. We bless you to be you. And Sarah, just as, as much as you've gone down into the depths of sorrow, the Lord says he will go and bring you up to heights of joy. Amen. All right. So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we do commission and send you on God's behalf. And those that receive you, receive Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen.